श्री गुरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाय गौ भक्त वृंद की जाय गौ प्रेम नंदे हरि गुड आफ्टरनून एवरीवन थैंक यू फॉर इनवाइटिंग मी होस्टिंग मी थैंक यू फॉर कमिंग टू गिव मी योर एसोसिएशन अपॉर्चुनिटी टू टू स्पीक व्हाट्स योर नेम Dr. Kevin, nice to meet you. Thank you for the nice garland also. I have not been here for a long time. I was born in the beautiful Garden State of New Jersey. <laughs> named most likely after the famous Isle of Jersey and the and the uh, famous Jersey cow. <laughs> which is uh, a favorite of mine in many respects. So, uh, you know, it's been a while. Maybe about fifty-two years, fifty-four years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel very welcomed here by your your uh, association so i think we are mostly um familiar with godivashnamism here today not not initiated devotees uh, so it doesn't appear to be a, a mixed audience more of a challenge too high for some too low for others so i'll speak a little bit shortly and Try to entertain any questions if there are any. With regard to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Shikshastakam, I had the good fortune of writing a commentary on Shikshastakam, and I was inspired to do so and asked to do so by some of my friends and students after I had given a series of lectures on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's eight verses in Finland. I go to Finland every so often. We have a retreat there, week-long, 10-day retreat, something like that. I've been going for a number of years and speaking on different subjects. So after I did that, some of my friends asked me if I would write something on that, and I thought that it's probably been written on quite extensively already, so it may not be um, as useful to do that, whereas could have written on something else that hadn't been given as much attention. After all, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's verses, eight verses, are very famous. But as I looked into the matter, I found that uh, it was just the opposite, that in 500 years, since the time of Chaitanya Dev, his verses appeared first in the, in the Padyavali of Rupa Goswami, a collection of, of various verses grouped under different topics, the eight verses were grouped under different topics, not as one uh, entire uh, poem, if you will, of eight stanzas. And of course, they're very irregular in their composition. They wouldn't fit together in one one poem. Um, and I found that later, sometime later, the great and most venerable, holy Sri Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, had uh, structured the verses in a way that they had not been previously 
and placed them at the end of his treatise, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, which is sometimes thought to be the last word of uh, on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in terms of how he was understood by his eternal associates. <clears throat> Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, of course, popular in Bengal amongst uh, his associates there, and various different ideas about what he was about, the measure of his dispensation, the depth of the penetration and transcendence that was afforded by him were entertained by different devotees, and it was ultimately the Vrindavan Goswamis who also hailed mostly Rupsanath and Shijiva Goswami, at least from from Bengal as well, who took Chaitanya Mahaprabhu kind of out of Bengal and gave him to the world, gave him to the religious world by writing about him in the religious language and intellectual language of the time, Sanskrit. And uh, taught well as they were, Shirup Sanatan, they presented his, uh, his, his, his teachings throughout his text, and it was Krishna's Kaviras Graswami who then took those back and put them in the Bengali vernacular and kind of made that refined conception of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu available to the world, so to speak, or the Bengali-speaking public, which is quite large in comparison to the Sanskrit-speaking uh, population. And so there in Chaitanya Charitamrita, we find, of course, the, the philosophy and the narrative of the Leela of Sriman Mahaprabhu. And at the end, as I say, of that book, the Shikshastaka is placed as if to reiterate the entirety of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings in uh, in eight verses. Very uh, uh, insightful the way he the way he did that. Again, it was the first time that they were presented together as a collection of verses that had a progression in them from one to another. And he envisioned Krishnas Kaviras Goswami, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his Antilila in the uh, more or less secluded stage of his life in the company of Rai Ramananda, Damodar Swarup, who assisted him in, in, in very intimately in uh, fulfilling his uh, ambition. Gore, of course, is Krishna. Hmm? Krishna with uh, Krishna in crisis, hmm? so to speak. Just as our human life, I like to think of, is a existential crisis. Hmm? And man and woman are made an image of God. So... If we take that to the fullest implication, of course, we come to Krishna in his human-like form, and he is God in crisis, existential crisis. This is Krishna in the deepest reach of Krishna Leela. We find him in this um, position. We, what I mean to say by saying that human life is an existential crisis, I mean, of course, the fact that in human life, nature finds out, wakes up to the fact that it has a soul and thinks about that. There are two components to the world, as we know, uh, from the Gita. 
then it comes. The constituents, on the one hand, are articulated eightfold, gross and subtle matter. And then consciousness, the objective side of life and the subjective side of life. The objective side the subjective side and the quasi-objective and quasi-subjective side of subtle matter, in a sense. It's it's more like matter. We categorize it as, as matter, the mental system, if you will. But it's different, although a sense, the sixth sense, it's very different than the other five. Tends to take the shape of the objects that it identifies with. It serves as a vehicle through which self or consciousness, atma, can communicate with physical the physical realm function within it. Hmm? So mind is a kind of consciousness-like. So much so, for example, that in that in our times, consciousness is often identified with with mind, the mind-brain problem <clears throat> that people have been thinking about uh, for some time is uh, one way in which often, as I say, consciousness is identified with mind. We would make a subtle distinction there, a considerable distinction, categorical difference, distinction, uh, difference, uh, distinction in substance. Consciousness is one substance, Mind and matter are another one, a crude form, if you will, and one a subtle form. So we have a psychic and we have a physical dimension to our material sense of self. <clears throat> but uh, as we are, like to believe, then we are different than that, categorically different in substance. We are uh, consciousness and so matter or the world, nature, if you will. We are kind of in one sense born in the womb of material nature, Humvija Pradapita. Krishna said that. Saikshita. This is so often wondered these days where we come from. Even well it's always everybody wonders. Brahma wondered. Children wonder. Of course the answers are given at differently at different times, often. Devotees hmm. seem to wander, too. <laughs> it's been a quandary. So, of course, it's very clear as to as a side point throughout the scriptures, everywhere it is mentioned, everywhere, in every text, in the Upanishads, in the Puranas, in the Mahabharata, in the Gita, in the Gaudiya texts, like Brahma Samhita, the Bhagavat, Chaitanya Charitamrita, so on and so forth. As I quoted from Gita, Ahambija Parapita. It's Krishna speaking, but he's speaking about his, <coughs> an aspect of himself. A moment, if you will, in the life of the Absolute. We would like to think of his life constituting three, three moments. Being, knowing, and loving. <coughs> Such it, 
आनंदम एंड इन गौरी वैष्णविज्म वी लाइक टू सेपरेट आउट दीज मोमेंट्स दैट्स यूनिक इन वैष्णविज्म we distinguish bhagwan parmatma and brahman loving knowing and being as if you could separate out the being of the absolutes and that the knowing and the bliss they're not entirely um separated but in the being aspect as we would see it brahman there's less knowing and less loving hmm? and in the knowing aspect there's more knowing than being and more knowing than loving and in the loving aspect there's so much love that as i mentioned krishna doesn't know for sure if he bees or <laughs> he doesn't know <laughs> hmm? love is uh, uh, a kind of ignorance hmm? if you will uh said so we have it's a course of divine ignorance but do i do do i who am i what am i this is krishna krishna in crisis uh i thought i was the king of love and i've seen a measure of love that i am not acquainted with what is my position he's in crisis and we are made in the image so human life is a question mark it's a question mark because as i was mentioning the other night and i bring up now there are two aspects to the world there's the subjective and there's the objective so here in human life the subjective aspect of life which permeates the world consciousness from our perspective starts to become aware of itself nature was unaware that it had a soul it was one of the components the principal component to the world as we know it in human life that self that consciousness that subjective aspect becomes starts to become aware of itself and so it's a, it's a crisis it's an existential crisis you follow me hmm? it's a why question why am i what am i it's not a how question of as probably would like to frame it how to eat how to sleep how to mate how to defend these are not really existential questions so in less complex forms of life these questions arise but this question that's relative to the subjective aspect of the world the experiencer rather than the experienced consciousness arises and what i mean to say is nature can't answer that question only remotely only direct indirectly backed as she is by consciousness ultimately she may push us in that direction in our human life um in ways that constitute for the most part negative impetus to move beyond her confines this self is 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 coming out human life is like probation hmm? you've got a leash you've got some freedom hmm? how you'll use it and that will determine 
your future, your 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 wealth, your 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 standing. Hmm? We can do things voluntarily in human life. We're not. We can say please. We can say thank you. We can say excuse me. We can say you first. Hmm? Adorable as they are, when we call our cows for eating, they don't say, <laughs> "You go first." Uh, excuse me. Did you get enough? <laughs> This is human life. Human life. So the implication is what? That yes, we are rational animals, but Mahabharu Shichitanya would like to encourage us to think we are more than... We can, the fact that life is, 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 is more than animal, that it, can be, that it can move from animality to spirituality, that, uh, that uh, comes to bear in human life, and spirituality is more than thinking. It's more than being, more than knowing. We find the prominent aspect of human life is that we have the opportunity to love, to do things voluntarily. The best things in life, of course, are not things, and the best things in life, in one sense, are doing things that uh, are not necessarily reasonable. I told a story the other day of a godbrother of mine who came to visit me some time ago and he had uh, strayed from the path, as it might appear. Hmm? I don't really quite look at it uh, like that um, because Krishna is very fond of those who sing his name and whoever wants... uh, feelingly make an appeal to him to be his. That's how I learned about all of this. I came once, many years ago, to the Miami Temple in Coconut Grove on my way to Jamaica to leave the world and live in the hills and meditate. I landed there on New Year's Eve in in Miami in a crash pad, and um, everyone was sitting around and on New Year's Eve, and they were morose that they had not become enlightened in, in the house that I was staying that uh, that year. And I thought they were a little morose, a little too much. I was kind of, I'm the kind of optimistic type of person. And uh, <laughs> so I, it's a long story, like all of us have one of those long and interesting stories. I won't go into it in detail, but anyway, they, I said, what's that? I saw this big thick book on the shelf that said KRSN, and they said, oh, that's for you. You're, you need that, <laughs> they said. And so they sent me to the to the temple. There I went. When I came in, one of my godbrothers was giving, just ending a Bhagavad Gita class, and he talked about property. He said he had just come, uh, uh, and he had just been uh, serving Prabhupada personally in Los Angeles, and he talked a little bit about that and how he walked with Prabhupada and he wore the beautiful garland and he was poetry in motion, it seemed, as as uh, his uh, disciple talked about him. And then he said that Prabhupada said, if we just once bow our head and feelingly pray to Krishna, oh, my dear Krishna, please help me, that's all. That's yoga. And I thought, that that's about all I, that's about all I can do, that I need help. And this is my thought. I I can't do this myself. So Im- immediately I bowed my head and I made that prayer. And he has never let me go ever since then. Hmm? 
And this is nature, affectionate by nature. So it may appear that we stray from the path, but it's more or less like heading for the highest peak, whatever it is, Mount Everest or... Kedarnath, Badrinath, if you like. There are many foothills along the way. So if you're traveling to the highest peak and you have to go through many foothills, you find yourself going up and down, up and then down again, up and down. But from the broader perspective, always going up. And sometimes the downs are necessary to go up. Sometimes if walking in the forest you come across a creek, you have to jump to get to the other side. You have to back up, get some momentum, run. And hmm? Sometimes on the path we have to be humbled. Hmm? That will help us go the distance. The best things in life, I was saying, they sometimes are are not rational. It seems we'll make progress by acquiring, by taking, by pushing. Jivo jivasya divanam as Darwin said. Hmm? <laughs> it appears we make progress by, by, by meanness, if you will. But no one would think that Hitler was more evolved than Mother Teresa. So, by appearance, we gain by acquiring, by taking. I was telling the story of this devotee who came. He had was on the downward slope from one of those foothills to the highest peak. And um, so he came, I helped him and so forth. And he let me know that he had a court date in the future that he had to meet. So anyway, when it all came to pass, I took, I went to court with him. And the uh, the attorney for the prosecution, uh, made a good case and said he should be put in jail. That wasn't his first time on the down slope, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, and he had a what one of those um, self-appointed, court-appointed attorneys who don't get a lot of pay, and he was pretty much sleeping through the whole case. <laughs> so he didn't have anything really to say to support him. And the, and the prosecutor made it. He was right. Hmm? From the point of view of justice, he was right. And um, so the judge heard the case, but he saw me in the courtroom dressed like this. And, of course, I had the devotee all dressed up in white and and also. And uh, so the judge said, well, is there anybody else in the room that might have anything to say about this? <laughs> so, <laughs> So he obviously you know, wanted to hear the whole story and give me a chance to speak. So I told, I said, I told him that I, I stood up and I spoke and I said, I think that the prosecution has made a very tight, uh, well-reasoned case. Hmm? And uh, so I went in that direction and supported his conclusions. But I said that, that life doesn't always work in in this way. That, that justice is the final arbitrator. Hmm? Uh, but uh, justice is there in one sense, in a higher sense, so that 
it can be overridden at times that we call mercy. So there are times when the reason might mandate something, but uh, conviction, but but we may invoke mercy and override the, the law. And then I spoke a little bit about you know, where he was staying and so forth, and, and the judge said, all right, guilty and dismissed. No sentence. So... So really, uh, these are kind of happy stories, and this is, we, we, we live for this. We live for grace, we live for giving. We find that we grow and we gain by giving, not by taking. As I often said, we can't hold up what we got and show it to everybody after we gave, but they can see that somehow we've gained. The self contracts by taking, and it, and it expands by giving. Hmm? This is the whole idea, in one sense, of the bigness of Vrindavan. It's called the Mahavaikuntam. So all of the Vaikuntha can fit into into Goloka. But it looks like quite a small place in comparison. Pastures and Krishna's in a medium-sized form and uh, very human-like and so forth. Again, he's in himself in crisis, wondering, who am I? Am I what I thought I was? Hmm. But it's big. How? How is it big? Hmm? If this world is small because of the small mindedness that it is so much, we are so much preoccupied with jivo, jivasya, jivan, we're on the take, we've identified with matter, we, we have needs, perceived needs, so we have to take. And uh, selfishness, unfortunately, is is the norm. It looks like if we don't take, if we don't push, if we don't, um, we'll get ahead by stepping on heads. Vaishnavism, of course, is the opposite. By having your head stepped on, you'll make progress. Hmm? Pujapad Sridhar told me, if you want to understand the Goloka Vrindavan, go to the Howrah train station in Calcutta. Have you ever been to Calcutta or any train station in India? practically, and then that's a busy place, of course, Calcutta, millions of people, and as soon as the train pulls up, everybody's me first to get in. So he said, if you could go to the Howrah station, and everybody said, you first, you first. Mm-hmm. So just the opposite, something like this. So material world is small, not in size. You should not think like that. According to the Vedanta, and Gaudiya Vedanta as well, the material world is infinite. That's not so many miles you'll go, and you'll, you know, we do talk about the universe is whatever, this is the smallest one, and they give some yojanas in Bhagavad, how big it is, give us some idea that it was a big number to think it's, it's really big, they didn't go out and measure it. But then, of course, it's also said in Bhagavad that this is the smallest universe within the multiverse. So what it's really saying is it's big. It says that the soul, on the other hand, the Atma, ourselves, is one ten thousandth the size of the tip of a hair. This is a way of saying in those times that it is immeasurably small. Now you might be able to measure 
the tip of hair, and they won ten thousands with that with instruments that have been created by uh, tech in the tech sector. Hmm? So you see, <laughs> some things are said in Bhagavad and other texts that seek to make a point. If if you cannot, if now if you can find ten thousand of the tip of a hair and say it's just it's right here, we say well one ten thousand of that and that is the side of the soul. This is the point, the spirit of that. It's Bhagavad Gita says it is immeasurable, immeasurably small. Maya means Maya means to measure. This is one of the meanings from the lexicon, to measure, to try to bring within our grasp to control. To bring in within the fist of our intellect the whole of reality, this is not possible. Hmm? The material world is infinite, and there are infinite number of souls there. This is the implication of Mahaprabhu saying to Vasudev, the leper who wanted to take the, the, all the souls' uh, karma on his own shoulders and liberate them. Hmm? What did Mahaprabhu say? Something like, well, one in a herd, one she-goat is lost use some idea like that. What, what is the big deal, in other words? If you could say, a herd of cows, of millions of cows, one cow went astray, would it be noticed? Of course, we might, cow lovers that we are, but the point is, so the whole universe is liberated. There's an infinite number of souls. It's material world is also infinite. And we get some sense like this from science these days as well. Our friend and godbrother, Yogeshwar's brother, who's a well-known science writer, I mean, it's made be his third book now, uh, that uh, has come out, what is it called? Hidden Reality, something like that? He's talking about various uh, theories in physics about the nature of the universe, that the multiverse idea that there are which is something we uh, identify with from from Bhagavad, from the from the Vedantic uh, Vedic cosmology. So, as many universes as you could make mathematical calculations for, there there are, and and where are they? There's one right here. Hmm? Yashodamai looked into Krishna's mouth, hmm? isn't it? So, with such uh, concern. And tenderness, hmm? she looked in, uh, into his mouth to see if he had eaten dirt. Hmm? He was accused by Baladev himself, his best friend and brother. Uh, he argued, no, that's not the case. <laughs> you look in my mouth and you can see. She looked in. Hmm? What did she find there? Hmm? Yashumati Nandana Brajavara Nagara Yashumati Nandana Brajavara Radhe, 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 Radhe,
Of course, she looked and she saw the universe inside of Krishna's mouth, and then she saw Krishna inside of that universe, and then she saw herself looking inside of his mouth and finding another universe and another. So this idea is given in, in Bhagavatam. Hmm? And uh, some some credibility, some empiric evidence is there to help support uh, some of these ideas as well. It's a big place, easy to get lost and small, tiny, as I said, one ten thousandth of, of one ten thousandth of a tip of a hair can get lost in all this sea of matter. <coughs> hmm? How we got here, that is easy. Ahambhijapadapita, as I said. And this is the Paramatma feature of Krishna presiding over a certain realm. He has a leela also. Hmm? It's um, called Srishti Leela. Leela of creation. Oh. To give that uh, meaning then one wants to become many out of joy for no reason other than out of joy, out of love. Hmm? And the one becomes many, and so we are made in the image. Hmm? And the avatars, if you will, he descends. This Mahavishnu, the avatars are coming through him. Hmm? Even Krishna comes, so to speak, on on the terms of the world. Prabhupada was once asked by a reporter, if you're a spiritual, why'd you fly on an airplane? Like, instead of coming on a carpet or something like that, was the implication. He said, well, I've, I've, I've come on your terms. It's your world, so I've come on your terms. So Krishna is certainly not of the world. He's not of Vaikuntham even. They don't even know about him in the fullest sense there. That would be a problem for them. But the avatars come from the Baikuntam and they come through the Mahavishnu. So Krishna's two Bhagavan Sakalapumsa. Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam. So it could be misconstrued. He's coming from the Vishnu, Mahavishnu. Their whole lineage is like that. We don't fault them. It's a particular perspective. It's valid. Chaitanya Charitamrita Krishna Das Kaviraj, after making a long argument as to the fact that Krishna is the source of Narayan and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was that same Krishna, he says. But anyway, if you want to think of him as an avatar of Mahavishnu, it's not entirely wrong either. That's a perspective. By Kunta perspective, we have a slightly different perspective. And that perspective brings us in our existential crisis, if you will, more closely tied to Krishna. We are more in the image of God in that sense. As much as human life is an existential crisis, Narayan, uh, or his manifestation for the world as we know it, is not in an existential crisis. He's God and there's no question about it. There are some questions about it here in this plane. That's all right. This is the realm of doubt. 
After all, it's guided at best by intellect, which is the doubting faculty. By exercise of intellect, we may move away from bestiality, animality, but we will live a very proceed with caution type of life. You have to check everything. Just like you listen to me, you know, that Swami, what group is he with? <laughs> so you may want to like, I'm not sure if I'm going to let everything he says just go right into my heart. Right? I'm protecting that with my intellect. I'm proceeding with a little caution. If he can speak well, he can then arrest your intellect hmm? and do some surgery. This is what Prabhupada did on us. He stopped us from thinking. Now we go back and think, really? He said that? And I didn't question it at the time. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. That's a yogic exercise. To stop the mind, stop stop thinking, Shidomar said, so he could put so many things in your heart. Now in his absence, you have to, you have to think about them. What are the implications of them? What are the ramifications? What was the spirit of what he said? What did he mean? And what at the time and the place and the circumstance? How might it be applied in other places? Hmm? From what place in the sacred text did he draw that idea? His credibility, as he taught, being drawn from having represented the previous authorities accurately, not as a maverick in the in the full sense of the term. Dynamic, no doubt, hmm? but such is the nature of revelation, for that matter. There's an ongoing conversation with the Absolute. We're in existential crisis. Krishna's in an existential crisis. Human life, we question, why am I? What am I? As I said, nature can only answer that indirectly, by, by making us feel, as she does, uncomfortable with the limitations that she imposes upon us, that we sense in human life, we should be able to rise beyond. That's what the whole world is about, trying to rise beyond the constraints of nature. The common approach is to conquer nature, to see the clouds, and we'll have rain. They get pretty good at that until it, she shakes. So she gives it just just a tremor, something like that. So it's what to speak then, as they said, to control the whole universe, to bring it under control, the multiverse. This is basically what, in this basic sense, Bhagavad wants to say to us. Hmm? Yeah. Some scientific evidence to support the idea that it is a folly. Hmm? I heard a debate not so long ago between a British atheist and uh, and uh, a converted atheist to the uh, probably the Episcopal Church. I forget who the gentleman was, one of those famous atheists, and he said, the, the, the theist was saying that, that it, religion seeks to answer the, you know, the, 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 the why questions. And the science, the uh, atheist fellow said, there are no why questions. That was his response. There are no why questions. They're all how questions, and we'll, all, we'll answer them in due course of time how things were. There's no why questions. Do you understand his point? Of course, I thought my question would be, if I was in the debate, why do we have to listen to this? (laughs) (laughs) 
There are no why questions. We are the why question. We are the subjective aspect of the what makes the world an objective component, a subjective component. Hmm? We, 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 are, we are dualists in a sense, substance dualists, more than category dualists. I think I used that term last night. That's kind of a diff- different idea. But substance, we say there's a difference in substance between consciousness and matter. It's not a popular idea in science, but there is some support for the idea Enough, as much as we'll find in other theories, of which there are a dozen or so that argue with one another about the nature of consciousness, hmm? how to identify it as an object, how to how to how to demonstrate this is the task that they see that they have for themselves, how to demonstrate what they, they feel reason dictates, how to demonstrate that, sub, that the subjective component of life is really objective. You understand? How to demonstrate that once and for all that consciousness is matter and end the search for meaning. They are very purpose driven to uh <laughs> to demonstrate that there is that the mean there's there's the no meaning meaning of life. Hmm? Intuitively we sense in human society that we uh are more than what meets the eye. We feel that way. This is a collective intuitive sensibility. And of course the Vedas say, the scriptures Vedanta says, you are you are consciousness coming out. You are life on probation. Hmm? As I said earlier, you have some freedom now. You have the, the, the questions are coming. You have freedom to make some choices. You can say, you can give, you can be a giver. Just see. We are different from the, the animals. We are rational beings. But Mahaprabhu wanted to say to us, you are more than rational beings. The difference between humans and animals is not just that we can reason, but that we can love, that we can give, we can do things voluntarily. This is the, this is this is the big thing, hmm? and this works in such a way as to say that love, well, love knows no reason. Hmm? If you if you if you have two and you give one, reason would tell us you have less. But life tells us you have more. Our life experience tells us we have more. When we're big enough to give. Do you understand? Hmm? When we're big enough to give, we find out we can live with less. As they say in Zen, more is less is more. Something like that. Hmm? How much more that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to tell us. Hmm? He is as I began, Krishna in crisis. Gore is Krishna, but he's in a crisis. If you go as deep as you can into Krishna Leela, what do you find? You find Krishna in his most introspective moments. He saw the love of gopis and Radha and saw how it exceeded anything in his own experience, and he had thought of himself as the king of love, Rasaraj. Hmm? But he saw a measure of experience in love, embodied in Radha, that was beyond his can, beyond his his, his uh, capacity to, to taste, taster he is, hmm? somehow or other. 
we should follow in his footsteps. Somehow or other, he thought, I've got to taste that. Somehow or other. So he's a thief, and so he stole away, if you will, into the night. And the dark lord became golden. And sought to answer the question, am I the king of love? Am I not? What is my position? It is said that... Krishna's guru was Sandipani Muni because no Vaishnav would give him initiation. Sandipani Muni is a Shaivite. So in Matura he took Diksha from Sandipani Muni. Of course, it also means that in Gaudi Vaishnavism, this fracas between the Shaivites and the Vaishnavites is resolved. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, one of the, one of the many things he did is resolve this, this, um, uh, sectarian debate. No one gives a higher position to Shiva than Gaudiya Vaishnavas, not even the Shaivites. We've positioned him at the gate of the uh, Rasalila. You got to get. He's checking your ticket. Have you got a ticket to get in here? Such a high position. If he were to hear that, he would be so much flattered. So he took initiation from a Shaivite. This is an important lesson. Of course, Bhaktivinoda Thakur said that one of the greatest obstacles to progress, he named 18, identifying them with 18 different uh, demons and uh, obstacles in, we find in Krishna Leela from Putana onward. One of them he identified as sectarianism. Or maybe he identified it with the forest fire, something like that burns down your own house. Not good. Of course, there's a place for your sect and feeling my guru is the best. I hope you feel like that. For me, and everybody feels my guru is the best, then there's no problem. Yes, then. <laughs> so, and in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the subjective reality ultimately prevails. How you love Krishna, that's the best. Objectively, we may say, the farthest reach is the Gopi Bhav and so forth. But Krishna Kaviraj is quick to point out after making that argument, however, the best is whatever is best for you. And you cannot say that Bhagwan doesn't want, want to accept a kind of a particular kind of love for us in eternity that we are to find out about in our pursuit of self-discovery to arrive at naturally through his dispensation of Harinam. So Krishna in crisis, this is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu seeking to resolve the crisis. Dark person appearing in a dark age. Kali Yuga, but because he so to hide himself in, uh, there, but he comes out pursuing the Bhava of Radha, he shines he, before all the devotees that he can't hide himself. Hmm? At the end of the narrative of his whole um, Leela, Krishna's Kaviraj places this Shikshastakam as if to reiterate it and all the teachings that are contained within there 
Very extraordinary what he's done. Very, very briefly, of course, he's commented on it. This is a form, Chaitanya's charge and read, of course, of, of, of revelation. Revelation is, is the means by which we can, we can answer the existential crisis. As I said, nature can't answer that. Nature answers automatically the how questions. If every species of life has a built-in system of defense, every species knows what to eat, knows where to sleep, how to sleep, uh, how to mate, we are confused about these things only because we are, number one, not preoccupied with the why question. And two, if we are not preoccupied with it in such a way as we can answer it. If we are preoccupied with answering the question, that's good. But if we go about it with the wrong means, that will be very counterproductive. Reason is not the means. Because as we said earlier, reason, the mental faculty, is a subtle form of the objective world. The question is a question of consciousness. Consciousness is questioning, what am I? As only it can. If matter mattered independently of consciousness, who would know? Who would care? Confirmed. (laughs) So, we are the knowers. We are the carers. Hmm? But if we try to answer the question and the sense seek out and find out if it's true, if there's more to me than what meets the eye, as I feel. Hmm? But I don't do it in the right way, then the more becomes kind of what the world is today, in many respects, the modern world. Hmm? Using intelligence for more acquisition, maybe more by acquiring more, hmm? by trying to conquer nature and so forth. I mean, if we really, it's difficult to understand nature and its, and its complexity, as I said. A, even we are told there's a good reason to believe there are millions and unlimited universes and so forth. How will everything work in every universe and, and so on? But there's this, so the, the idea of knowing all the secrets of nature is, is preposterous in a sense. If we are to approach that with the help of our rational faculty, but Grover Cleveland, I think it was, said, wasn't it? If you love someone, they'll tell you all the secrets. Isn't it true? Hmm? This is Krishna consciousness. If you love someone, then he'll tell you all the secrets. Krishna says what, and he told Brad Sundar is that Oh, just see my position. People approach me for eternal life. I give that. People approach me for things. I give them things. Hmm? But who's interested in me? Nobody. Practically. The Brad Sundaris, they're not big yogis. They're not big jnanis. They have no education. They know how to make sandesh, burfi, essential knowledge <laughs> they have. <laughs> hmm? But not a big intellectual burden. They're not burdened by big uh, intellectual uh, capacities. 
troubled by that, burdened to have to by that uh, necessity for things to make sense. Hmm? And the things, what do they have? Very few things. House made out of cow dung. Basically, they have cows and the land that is required for cows and everything, they are cowherds, everything in their existence, for the most part, is derived from that. Where they will live, how they will live, what will be the nature of their abodes, and so on and so forth. The cow is very giving, very generous. This whole idea, we see Krishna depicted in art, God, the Absolute, with cows. What does it mean? The cow is the is the epitome of of, of giving. Hmm? Implications: What grass is free, not in today's world, but <laughs> you know, but it grows. It seems without without any effort. Of course, if you want to produce milk in a way that's cheap, hmm, or it appears it's at a great cost, we should be very cautious about that. Hmm? Consuming milk that's cheap is at a great cost, a great karmic cost, hmm? cost to the earth, a cost to us for participating in such a thing. It costs a lot to have milk. You've got to have a lot of acres. Nanda Maharaj had 900,000 cows, uh, acre a cow. Goloka's a pretty big place. Hmm? I was speaking about it earlier. How is it big? It's the Mahavaikuntha. Whole Vaikuntha is found in there. What does it mean? Hmm? This world is small, big as it is, with unlimited, infinite universes. It's small. Because it's small-minded. Hmm? Because consciousness here is small-minded. It's not aware of itself. Hmm? It's identified with matter and it feels, therefore it has needs, so it's on the take. It's not big in a real sense, what is big in a real sense? Hmm? If we go from the material world to Brahman, then we go, oh, it's big. A big relief is what it is. Hmm? It's a big relief because we know that we exist. We know the, the extent to which we exist. There's no more struggle. Jivo jivasya jivanam. Darwin is retired here. It's a fact, but there's a solution. I mean, we know. Anyway, life adapts. It has adaptability. It's tenacious. Hmm? We know that in between. Life adapts. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know what the, what is thought to be the pinnacle of that consciousness is. Two ends we don't, in science, we don't know about. We know in between it adapts itself somehow or other. Hmm? It's tenacious. Uh, Nothing can get it down, so to speak. The implication is, according to the Vedanta, it's of a different nature. It's not a thing. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's enduring. Hmm? The subjective reality. It's of a different substance altogether. Hmm? And it's a unit, as I'm saying, of giving. It's a unit of giving capacity. That's what we do. We give ourselves. Here, there, and everywhere. Mostly to the wrong places. Bhakti is about honing the giving that we are about by making it selfless without attaching any getting to it. Number one, ahoyituki. Hmm? 
without reservation, pratyata yayatma sambhasiddhati, and centered properly. In other words, if you're going to give without interruption, without uh, motivation, without any attaching any getting to that purely, you have to have an object that can take unlimitedly. Otherwise, you'll be frustrated in your attempts to give without interruption if the object suddenly disappears. So this idea of Krishna, even more refined than Narayan, if we study it, Krishna is the supreme enjoyer. This is the idea. There has to be a center, a taker, that can take unlimitedly. And the nature of that taker is such that because that taker is appropriately the taker, when that center takes, then everything is nourished thereby. When we try to be the off-center taker, then there's a problem. Then there's a struggle. When the stomach is given the food, then it goes everywhere. It's transformed and mystically it energizes the whole body. If the hand gets together with the tongue and says, hey, and why should we give it to the stomach? Fish, you know, maybe there's more to be had by keeping it. You take half and I'll take half. Okay. So then they will, they will perish. Hmm? So we appear to be perishing under the influence of nature. And due to the smallness of our size, hmm? the illusion that we are, we are big, which is afforded us in the world of our mind, so small, huh? so petty, but we think everyone else should live within it. My good should be yours, my bad should be yours, my hot should be yours, my cold should be yours. We want everyone to live in the small world of our mind even though it's not making us comfortable. We're uncomfortable there, and unreasonably we want everyone else to live within that. So it's small, I say it's unlimited, the material world, it's infinite. But it's small, how? It's small in terms of the measure of affection. It's a world of taking. If we stop giving, if we stop taking, ah, there's relief. Because as long as you take, jivo jivasya, jivanam, as long as you hunt, you'll be hunted. That's a fact. Hmm? So if we stop this taking, this is ego, an ego, if we adopt an ego of facing life, then we can relax. Shanti, shanti, shanti. There is some affection, no doubt, to uh, desisting from taking. If we top, top, stop exploiting, stop taking, then there's some kind of abstract love to that, if you will, in comparison to taking. Like I said, in being, there's some loving. If we just could separate out being of the absolute, separate out the knowing, separate out the bliss, the loving. Hmm? We separate out the being like the jnanis like to do. This is their whole path. The idea that the Gaudis have identified Bhagawan, Paramatma, and Bhagawan, excuse me, Bhagawan, Paramatma, and Brahman as different faces of the Absolute, they've isolated these moments in the life of the Absolute, objectively, and they said, well, you may think, how can you do that? We see it readily. There are those who seek that aspect, the being aspect, jnanis, 
the knowing aspect, the yogis, hmm? and the loving aspect, the devotees. Hmm? In being, there's a huge relief. Oh, I be. Something like that. I be. I've been str- I have been struggling to be, and it's been very difficult. And, and to be something I, I can't be, hmm? what my mind and senses mandate. The I that's formed by the my, in other words, we are our bodies. That's a little different, I know, than what Prabhupada used to say it, but you are your body. Conventionally speaking, in terms of the material ego, we are, are our desires. Our desires, our my, makes up our I. Hmm? And... We are a unit of desiring capacity. We are the body in that sense. But if we do away with the my, which is false in the first place, we can't keep anything. That's why the identity is in flux. I thought I was well off, and I, now I found out that in a different economy I'm not. I thought I had a huge equity, and now it's all disappeared. Hmm? So the identity that the I that's formed by my this is problematic. Hmm? The taking hmm? puts us in negative numbers. So if we come from negative numbers to to, to zero, well we've gone somewhere. Ah, relief! I'm not in debt anymore. Hmm? I'm not taking from anybody. That's kind, hmm? loving kindness. Buddhism would like us to embrace this kind of idea. And Ganmarg also, loving kindness. But it's a very abstract kind of kindness that constitutes not taking. So Brahman is bigger than the material world, which is infinite. So, how? Because there's more affection there. Not taking. If from there we go to Vaikuntha, it looks like it's getting smaller. Brahman is big space. How would you depict it? A big blank canvas, something like that. Hmm? You can't depict it. Therefore, naiti, naiti. It's not this, it's not that. What can we say? It doesn't answer to speech. Mind going there returns. Speech going there returns. Cannot do justice. Of course, the Gaudias will take it a step further. They will go from Brahman then to Baikuntam. And they will say, There's not enough you can say about it. Words, there are not enough words to speak about it. They are always speaking. In Vaikuntha, it appears to become smaller. There are planets, there are bodies, there seems to be space. There's not a lot of time there. Hmm? But there seems to be space. We came from beyond time and space. To if you talk about it, it conjures up notions of space and limitations. and It seems to get smaller, but it's bigger. Because why? There's more affection there. If we go to Golok, it's even smaller. Not only have space, but we have time there. Hmm? 
Krishna says in the Gita that Natad Bhashayate Suryona Shashankona Pabaka. And yet Gatvana Nivartan Teta Dhamma Paramamama. We may have come here, as all the scriptures say, for Mahavishnu, by his glance into this world, everywhere it is said, as I mentioned, in every text. Hmm. Prabhupada said it too, very nicely. A nice letter to Jagadish. Hmm. Anyway, big topic subject, but we don't, leaving here, that place is from where no one comes back. When Yudhisthira was asking Narada, about the about the the um, how do you say the um, partiality of the god is God impartial? This gave rise in the from the from the, the, the mouth of Sukadev to uh, to in the, this is in Bhagavad to reiterate a story that had appeared in the third canto. This is in seventh canto, the story of Jai and Vijay. So when he started to, to talk about this with regard to partiality of, of the Godhead. What did Yudhisthira say? He said, it is unacceptable to me. I cannot believe that someone from Vaikuntha could fall down. It is un, uh, unbelievable to me. I cannot embrace that. It is absolutely impossible. Certainly not from anything within the Vaikuntha itself, and hardly from anything outside the Vaikuntha, like the curse of the Kumaras, of some some sages. How could that possibly affect someone in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a he says, he said, he said, why is it possible? Because they have a prakritadehas. They have bodies made of sudasattva, he said, hmm. made of swarup shakti. It's impossible. Hmm. That's good news for us. That's very good news for us. We have, of course, the will to choose. That's what we are doing now. Make your choice. Go there or stay here. If you make the wrong choice, you stay here forever. Hmm? If you make the right choice, you stay there forever. Because if you make the wrong choice here, you continually make it over and over again because material life continually presents to us prospects, carrots. There's the possibility that you could have the kingdom of God without God. Hmm? Your own kingdom as a possibility. Material world is a continuous invitation to dinner at which only appetizers are served. <laughs> the net result of which is indigestion. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> and Golok is a full meal. Full meal. Hmm? Up to the neck. Hmm? Up to the neck. Hmm? This begins like this. This is Bhagavad. It begins like this. Nigamakalpataro is a tree. A wish fulfilling tree. Nigamakalpataro. Where is Kalpavitra? That is the world <laughs> working. Kalpataror, hmm? a tree from which you can get any desire, get, have anything fulfilled. All actions are informed by some knowledge. The Veda tree is a tree of knowledge. All the branches of knowledge. Nigama Kalpataror, Galitam Falam. 
there's a fruit on the tree, and it's that falam is galitam. What does galitam mean? Fallen. It means the tree is it's the fruit that's fallen. What is it? What is the implication? This is speaking about bhagavatam. Bhagavatam is the ripened fruit of the tree, and it's fallen. It means it's so easy to get. It's ripe. It fell off the tree. You don't have to climb the tree to get it. Hmm? In bhakti, the effort exerted is effort to get grace. That is effort. This is an effortless effort. We make effort to get grace. Hmm? Krishna said, oh, they approach me for eternal life. They approach me for things. I give them that. But these ladies, they don't want eternal life. They don't want things. They want me. And they don't have the equipment that, really, they don't have the interest in that which gets people eternal life and gets people things and so forth. They are depicted as just simple village girls. So, But they want me. These other people, they don't want me. They come to me for eternal life, but they don't want me. These girls have no, no powers like yogis or big intelligence like the jnanis, but they want me at least. I'm going there. That's what he says. I'll go there. You don't have to come here. I'm going there. I'm drawn by that. Hmm? Such is my nature. Hmm? Affection. Hmm? I'm ruled by affection. Yes, I have a Shaivite guru. That's one thing. But Bande Gurun, Chaitanya Charitamrita begins. There's a plurality of gurus we're, interest, we're introduced to. Hmm? Bande Gurun. Yes, I got my diksha from Sandipani Muni, but Amishishya Guru Nata, Radhikar Premerun Matha. But the full, but, but the fact is, Amishishya, I am the, I am the disciple. Hmm? And the Prem of Radha, that is my guru. Hmm? Under her artful teaching uh, in the school of dancing, I am dancing. I am the dancing god that Nietzsche couldn't find. Hmm? <laughs> That's me. Hmm? And she's my guru. Her love is my guru. I'm conquered by that. I'm the, I'm the disciple of that. This is this is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu trying to resolve that existential uh, crisis. In Golok, then it's even smaller than Vaikuntha, right? There's time there. Krishna said, In my abode, there's no need for light, for sun, for moon. Napabaka. Hmm? Now fire, Prabhupada said very nicely, or electricity. Hmm? There's no need for internet there. Hmm? <laughs> there's no there's no need for moon and sun. But there is a moon and there is a sun. Hmm? And there is a leela that moves according to time. Hmm? This is time after time. Hmm? <laughs> time after time. Pastime. Let's hmm. <laughs> hmm. So it looks smaller. You understand? There seems to be space. There appears to be time. 
Hmm? But it's much bigger than Vaikuntha. Hmm? In Brahman, in material world, there's only one rasam, vibhatsa. The result that comes from interacting with material things is disgust. In Gita, Krishna says, what? The the objects of the senses are the womb from which misery is born. Hmm? So we interact with sense objects, we end up only disgusted. In Brahman, well, quietude, eternal quietude. If we go to Vaikuntham, there the Paramatma appears as Narayan. There's reverence, there's, uh, there's passive appreciation and reverence, there's service, little bit of friendliness, half. Like if I'm your chauffeur for a long time and then a little confidence builds up and I might say, what do you think I should invest in at this time? Hmm? Where shall I place them? What do you think? What is your opinion? Hmm? Well, Mr. Mr. Swami, uh, I don't know, but... So something like that. A little bit of uh, a little bit of confidence comes, and then we come to Goloka. Full confidence, Pranay, Vishramba. There is Dasyaras, but it is tinged with friendliness, full friendliness. Pranay. This is really the beginning of Goloka. Therefore, Ahobagyam, Ahobagyam, Nanda Gopa, Brashokasham, and Mitram Paramanandam, Purna Brahma Sanatanam. Brahma described it like this, Golok, it begins with this, friendly dealings, hmm? love, equality. Hmm? And it goes, it, 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 it develops from there, hmm? all the way up to the romantic love. Hmm? Here we find affection, to the extreme. We know that Narayan is the controller. He's got four arms. <laughs> That's the implication. We've got two, he's got four. He's God. <laughs> you know, life requires four arms to do everything that we have to do. Narayan's got four arms. That's what it means. He's doing everything. He's got under control. Hmm? You can use your two arms like this. Put them up. Hare Krishna. Hmm? the Sharanagati. Do surrender. That's the best use of your two arms. Then in all four arms, you will embrace you. Hmm? Krishna only has two arms, that's a fact. But there's, oh, they're so loving. Hmm? There we find in Golok full affection. Hmm? It's bigger, therefore. You understand? Then by Kunt, it appears smaller, but it's bigger. As I've said before, Oh, if you love someone, then you can live in the closet with them. Right? You can live in the hollow of a tree and be satisfied. <laughs> if you love, you have the whole world hmm? and no affection, it will be empty for you. So affection, we live for affection. Krishna is the, the very personification of affection. Affection in, 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 in existential crisis. Hmm? And we are having existential crisis as our affectionate nature and capacity 
starts to come out in human life. And we realize that not only we have intelligence, but we, we, can, we can love. We're more because we can love. The love is the more. Hmm? And we try to find out the more that we are only with intellect that becomes more of a problem. Hmm? We try to, for example, we take facts which from science which is neutral, and then with technology, we may use the facts in a particular way to provide more, the more that we intuitively sense life must be about. The constraints of nature are seem to get in my way, way, my way. I should be able to, you know, every species has something particular. You know, birds fly in the sky, fish swim in the ocean. Birds don't think, I wish I could swim in the ocean. And fish don't think, I wish I could fly in the sky. But we do. We think we'd like to fly in the sky, we'd like to go to the depths of the ocean. Everything that every other species of life does, we'd like to try it out. <laughs> and why is that? Hmm? Because again, in human life, what it means is this consciousness that we are, that life is constant of, is coming out from underneath the confines of the constraints of, of, of nature to some extent, and it feels I could do everything. I could, I, I, I can, I can fly in the sky. I, if I, I could swim to the bottom of the ocean. What does Krishna say in the Gita that nainam chandanti chastrani nainam dayati pabakaha he cannot be drowned, he cannot be burned, he cannot be killed by nuclear weapons, anything. Not by fire, not by water, not by not even the stone will wither in the wind, but not you, not the Atma. The Atma, this is the Atma sensing itself. But this intelligence then, this is the last hurdle, you've got to use that. Uh, I'm challenging you to do that today here, to some extent. You have to use your intelligence in bhakti also. This is not for just people who want to have somebody else think for them. It's not like that. Don't think like that. You will not make progress. To a point you will. Hmm? And then it's very possible, if that's your approach, you start offending the very thing that's calling your progress. We have to use our intelligence. It's a bit of a challenge. We start to use our intelligence in relation to scripture, revelation. Revelation is the way for knowing the more that you are. Om, it begins. Om is an affirmative. It's a big yes. So you say, what's the question? We are the question. Human life is the question. I feel that I'm more, but am I? Yes. The revelation says, you are Om. And this is the way then to find out. So many instructions here. The teacher is coming representing the book. This is how you can find it. There's a kind of knowledge that's of a different nature than the knowledge acquired through the senses and the knowledge that's extended by the by the by reasoning. There's a different kind of quality of knowledge. This other knowledge, material knowledge, we can take and put on our agenda. We go to school, we get some knowledge, we put it in our bag, we use it to get a job, to be cool socially, to get a partner. Hmm? We think, well, we'll go hear the Swami talk too, get some, some of that, maybe I'll use that as well. Hmm? <laughs> I told the story of this fellow who, won, who had everything in life, he was in Bengali, he was well off and all, but in social circles he would be asked, who is your guru, and he didn't have an answer. 
I've got a missing card here in my house of card existence, and so I've got to get a guru. So he 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 looked and he he saw that many people were praising Gorkishore Das Babaji Siddha Mahatma used to live out in the fields and so forth. So he thought, I'll go, I'll become his disciple and have that covered too. Hmm? <laughs> and I'm wealthy, so I'll ask him. Whatever you want, I will give you, Gurudev. You just ask. All I want is to be your disciple. So he went with this in mind. He said, I want to be your disciple. Whatever you ask, I'll give you. You think, what does he want, a hut? You know, these guys don't want anything anyway, so. <laughs> he thought. And Babaji Maharaj said, yes, I will accept you as my disciple. I'm so happy that you're here. I only want one thing from you. Stay here with me. <laughs> don't go home. He ran away from that place. <laughs> so the point is that this kind of knowledge we come to hear from from sadhus, and what we start to find out is this knowledge is different. It has an agenda of its own, and rather than me making that knowledge part of my agenda. It has put me on its agenda. Oh, a different way of life. Hmm? Now, I will learn something very different from a very, very different approach to knowing. Hmm? We cannot resolve the existential crisis of consciousness coming out, wondering what it is, what is its potential. I'm different from matter, I feel it. I'm similar, but I feel like the constraints of matter are, are inappropriate. Hmm? I could do anything. I could do everything. I could, I could be. I'm like a. Say it. What's the closest thing in this world to God? If we were to look and see what most resembles God in this world, what would be the answer? You. That's a fact. That's what the Upanishads say. You are God. You most resemble God. Your consciousness. God is consciousness. You are a ray of the sun. Of course, we go and develop the idea. You're also not God. <laughs> but one thing I should say, you are. our teaching is you are as much God as you are not God. We emphasize the not God part. Sometimes we have to emphasize the God part. You are consciousness. God is consciousness. You belong to him, no other. Hmm? You're his. Tattvamasi, thou art thine. Hmm? That's a Gaudi idea. You are his. Hmm? Belonging. Swakiya. And in the context of that, Parakiya, it's a very crazy religion. Not belonging. Hmm? Hmm. So this kind of knowledge that will resolve the existential crisis, it cannot come from nature. Hmm? And nature, as I said earlier, includes the mental faculty, the intellectual faculty. This is a subtle form of nature. It's not categorically different from nature. It's a subtle form of it through which atma, which is categorically different, different in substance altogether, communicates with the physical world. Mind, kind of soul takes like a form of the mind and communicates through matter. Hmm? But if we try to answer the question of consciousness, obviously we can't answer it with things, but with thoughts we might answer it. 
they're certainly of a subjective nature to some extent, thought. Hmm? So we will think about what I am. Then we will start to philosophize. This is an example of becoming preoccupied with the existential crisis that human life constitutes, but in such a way that you won't arrive at the answer. Hmm? Because what you are is more than matter and more than its, its subtle form. So the answer has to come from outside of matter. Hmm? Now, we cannot demonstrate conclusively that the self-consciousness is different from matter and thereby confirm that the method has to be different than a material method. We cannot demonstrate that. We should know that. Don't, we shouldn't charge off and think we've got all the answers. And if people just read our book, they'll all just accept it. So it's not going to happen like that. Hmm? We like what we're doing. We identify with the philosophy and the logic of the Bhagavatam for not because of reason. That's not why we do it. And that doesn't mean that the Goswami's writings and all and our charge is not well-reasoned. It is. It's well-reasoned. It's as well-reasoned of a, of a presentation you could make about something that transcends reason. Hmm? But the reason that we accept it is because of Sukriti. That's why. Hmm? Because we got some Sukriti in the previous life and in this life by Sadhu Sangha. Then we become predisposed towards the logic hmm, of bhakti. The book doesn't answer every question. It does for us, hmm, because we have that kind of sukriti. So we, it's it's not it's it's again we're growing primarily without reason, but then we have to use our reason entirely as well in relation to bhakti. That's called in relation to revelation. That's called. Theology, we call it Shastriyukti. Hmm? And you should know this. When we say knowing, comprehensive knowing will come from revelation, it doesn't mean 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, everything's in the book, just open to this page, and you don't have to think. No. The most comprehensive praman, what is it? Like The Tantra says, Purushottam Tantra, what does it say? Shastarto. Shastartha yukto anubhava pramanam utamam matam. Praman means evidence. We will cite the scripture for evidence to support our case as we should. But the Tantra says the supreme form of evidence is when we take the revelation and then based on our experience, the feeling we've derived from practicing and the use of our intelligence, we reason about it. What is its implication? What is its what did it say? What did it mean? Hmm? There should be a book. What Prabhupada didn't say, what Prabhupada said and what Prabhupada meant. And he said, and it was all this is a, a valid exercise. <laughs> An important exercise. And so with all this revelation, it's a conversation. Krishna started it. Om. Well, we could say we started it by questioning, but which came first, the seed or the tree? So, Om, yes, question, why, what am I? 
Am I more than what meets the eye? Yes, you are. So this revelation is an ongoing then conversation. We have to participate in that. It's a living and growing thing. Probably give the example that scripture is like law books. So we would think, okay, you open it up, there's the law. It's done. For the next 10,000 years, it's all decided. But then if you, and it's a good analogy. Because if you go to court and you say, Your Honor, I think and I feel and I really wish that I wouldn't be guilty. <laughs> and the prosecutor says, well, I, sounds nice, but according to the law at this date and the law at this date and the law was determined at this date, I feel he should be incarcerated. And guilty as charged. Hmm? So this is what Prabhupada meant when he said, yeah, there are law books, there's a standard of knowledge, we have to go there, we cannot just make it up as we go along. And so forth. This is what he emphasized like this. Hmm. But if you play that analogy out, what do you find? The laws are being determined all the time. Morality is a moving goalpost. Hmm. And laws are meant also to be understood. The purpose to them is to be understood so that they may be transcended and broken. And so this, this revelation is a conversation. It's like the law is constantly being determined. Hmm? Every moment is unique. Every moment is different. Hmm? There's continuity also. So there are things that don't change. We don't change. Hmm? And what we're ultimately about doesn't change. But how to arrive at there, there at different times, at different circumstances, and so forth. So you have to think. You have to think. You have to think in relation to revelation. Hmm? When you think not in relation to revelation, that is Western philosophy unhinged from revelation, that is that doesn't end, doesn't answer the existential crisis. It makes it worse. Hmm? It makes it a real, real problem. Hmm? So revelation. This is the theory. As I said, you can't demonstrate it in the laboratory that the self is different from matter. But do we have to? Hmm? If we can convince ourselves, that's good enough. And we, how can you get convinced by practice? By spiritual practice, you can know. You can know beyond thinking. You can feel the self. Now you will attach to that metaphysical truths and so forth. The people say, how do I know your experience is what you say it is? Hmm? You can't prove it. So all kinds of people say they have religious experiences. Hmm? That's true. We can't prove it. Hmm? But we can prove one thing. If we actually practice Gaudi Vaishnavism, we can prove we're completely satisfied. Hmm? That's something to hold up. Hmm? Not only are we completely satisfied, we're so satisfied, we're overflowing and giving. We're so charitable. We're so magnanimous. We are so fixed that we are completely flexible. Hmm? Nothing challenges us. Hmm? We can turn bad into good. Hmm? We see with the eyes of love and we find faults to be ornaments. Hmm? Who will not like us? Hmm? If they don't like us, we agree with them. I'm bad. <laughs> You're right about that. Hmm? <laughs> it's a bad. <laughs> After a while, they just they have to like you. Hmm? <laughs> hmm? They start saying, well, I, I didn't mean it that, you know. I mean, I, <laughs> see. 
So this is what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about. You have to experience that Gaudiya Vaishnavism. You have to be what that, what Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to give. You have to end this existential crisis. And we didn't get to the verse I was going to talk about, but this is what Shikshastakam is teaching us very systematically. Hmm? How to resolve this existential crisis by reflecting on the existential crisis of Krishna that gives birth to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? He seeks to understand how, although he's the king of love, Radha's love exceeds any love that he's experienced. He wants to taste it. He enters the world. Hmm? The Shikshastakam explains that in eight verses. And the one I wanted to talk about, we were kind of ending on it. Mahaprabhu told us what are the regulative principles of his school. Hmm? What is the decorum? How one must conduct oneself? What did he say? Say it with me, please. Trinadapi sunichena toror api sahishnuna amani namanadena kirtaniya sadahari Don't stop now. Mahamantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare. Ramo, Hare Ramo.